Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Books, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat to some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry of writing and self-publishing that we're in. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest all the way from Los Angeles. It's uh, Keith Seltayanis, a comedy writer and creative teacher who is here to talk to us all about, um, well, the creative process. He's also very tall. Which I feel I ought to mention at this point. So, uh, Keith, we are delighted to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so tall. I'm so tall. My camera is actually across the room. This is the only <laughs> way I can fit into the screen. Uh, it's great. I'm so happy that I flew in for this. Uh, very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, oh, I'm tall. Well, we are delighted to have you. Thank you so much. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing well, thanks, uh, Roland. And uh, hi, Keith. I'm glad hi. you could make it today. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, you, you're making all these faces, but you while we're talking, nobody's seeing you, so they're missing out. Right. They're missing okay. out on all the stuff that I'm seeing. <laughs> J- just the faces. Only this. When I'm on screen, this is all you're going to see. Is this boring? But when I'm off screen, this is what you're going to see. Yeah, you're just you're trying to make me laugh, and then yeah, just for you, my stuff. Yeah. Roland gets I get it. it. He does. He does. Yeah. Uh, so listen, this is a cool topic. Like I'm a huge fan of comedy in general, but improv uh, as well. I mean, I, I go to shows and um, as a, as a, uh, as a customer, not as a actor, but um, as I was telling you before, if, if I didn't have, you know, my paralyzing stage fright issues, I would have loved to <laughs> try to do improv uh, in another life. But um, I think, you know, what you would talk to us uh, about, today for for this podcast um as much as i would love to just like try to do some improv with you uh is really the the idea that you know because our audience is authors you know we wanted to talk about the idea of um you know you would pitch something because you have a book coming out called the improv mindset right so um using you know the skills of improv um and the you know the creative process that you need for those skills in your everyday life and and how they apply to your writing and all that stuff right so that's it's that right is that how we're 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 angling this for our audience exactly yeah my my book the improv mindset uh is releasing this june depending on when you're listening to this this june 2026 uh is when it is out because we are that's when you're listening to this right just kidding 2023 uh and it is it's it's all the skills and experience that i've that i've had teaching and performing and uh, I travel the world teaching and performing as well. So it's all of that and all these crazy jobs, everything I've ever done and how improv applies obviously to writers and obviously to actors and, and people who, who are using performing, but also it applies all the time because we wake up in the morning and no one is like, here's your script, start improvise, like follow your script. No, you're improvising, you're making it up. You never know how things go. So it's how those exact same skills of being present collaboration, um, thinking off the top of your head, being in the unknown, how to use those skills for your everyday life, since we are just doing one big improv show. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to look at it. And I've never really thought about it in that sense. You know, I always think of improv as comedy, right? But you're right. right. I mean, we're improving all the time. And I say that to my kids whenever I, you know, do something that will cause them to, to go to therapy later. I say, listen, you know, there's no manual to what I'm doing here. I'm making it up as I go along and I'm not always going to get it right. 
That's true. Yeah. And, uh, and especially that, I mean, some of my friends who have kids are like, you should just do a book that's about like improv for parents. Cause it, that's a whole thing. Like kids are always improvising. Uh, but a lot of times uh, one of the big rules of improv is to agree to say yes. And kids are known to be like, no, you're doing it wrong. Right. Roland, you get it. Right. Yeah. Roland gets it. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, listen, if I had to keep saying yes to my kids, uh, I would be broke. So, you know, I can't and play those improv rules with them. Yeah, and that's um, one of the fun things that I've I've discovered is the big improv rule is yes and, but really that means that the people who are doing the improv has to have to agree to the situation that's going on. It doesn't mean they have to agree with each other, uh, because right. in life as well, if you just say yes to everything, there's like oh I'm in a yes attitude, but you obviously can't say yes to everything. You're at a restaurant, hey, we're going to charge you a thousand dollars for that water. Yes, okay, like. But right. you agree, well, yes, you gave me a water, and yes, you were going to charge me, but I don't want you to do that. Uh, so it's it's agreeing to the right. situation and how to navigate that instead of going, no, I didn't get a water, and denying it, which just turns into an argument. How to agree with what's going on, but still have your own opinion and navigate that collaborating with another person. Roland, you agree, right? Yeah, he gets it. <laughs> Listen, I, I think we should go over some of these rules. I, I actually know some of them because I have uh, watched a lot of improv and then stuff like that. But um, it, there's probably people in the audience that aren't as familiar. So we're talking about, you know, the yes and, and, and all that stuff. So, you know, you're the teacher. So I'll let you sort of give us the quick rules. And then that way, you know, as we're talking, maybe people won't feel as lost. Not that necessarily all this stuff will be applying to our talk, but it's a good, a good base for people to understand, you know, what improv is and, and, uh, and the, the very loose rules that there are around there. I don't think there's too many, really. That's great. No, yeah, I'll go over the, the 52 that I usually go over. Um, each one is about five to 10 minutes long in the description. Uh, so hopefully everyone has a lot of time because you, once you, like the first 49 are not that important, but I have to say them before I get to the other three. Um, Perfect. So rule number one, just kidding. Uh, I usually have three to four that, I, that are the main important. Uh, so like I said, yes, and is usually the first improv rule that people learn, but I say it's the second rule because the real first rule of improv is listening. And we look past that. Even as I say it now, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm listening to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening to this recording. I know how to listen, but really everything we need is from listening, active and reactive listening. Someone does something, someone says something, or someone doesn't say something or someone doesn't do something. It's all right in front of us. It's all right in front of us. Everything we need is just from listening. It's like uh, if you meet someone and they're like, oh, hi, I'm Tom. Nice to meet you. And then you're like, hi, sorry, what was your name again? Because we weren't listening. We were thinking, what do I say next? Or what is Tom wearing? Or Tom reminds me of my cousin. Or what did I just do? We're not being present. And listening really brings us to the present moment, which is where all creativity and especially improv comes from. But you can't do anything else if you're not listening. You can't yes and do the other rules I'm going to say if you're not listening. It's all right there. So, for example, uh, I'll do a little improv right now with Roland. Uh, so, Roland, uh, what did you have for breakfast today? Oh, wow, it must not have been good if you can't even talk about it. Wow. It must. Oh, you feel sick. Okay. See, there's the little example because Roland's not responding to me. But there's still something there even in the lack of response. Thanks, Roland. That was great. So, that's rule number one is listening. Uh, rule number two is yes and, which is anything said is true. You are in agreement. You yes and with the other person. Yes, this is true. And how do I feel about it? 
So let's say you're at a dinner party and you're talking to someone. You're over there. You have your little drink. Uh, and someone's like, a real boring conversation. I'm just making this up right now. Oh, wow. It's been really windy lately. Weather, really boring. But it's been really windy. And most of the time we go, oh, yeah, it's weird. Anyways, um, so what do you do? And you move on to another subject instead of just building off of what was just said. So, yes, it's been really windy. You can, yes, it's windy. And then how do you feel about it? Like, oh, it's crazy. Stuff in my yard is flying around. Uh, or you say, oh, it is, it is really crazy. Like, has, has stuff in your yard been flying around? You can add some information in there. And within that information, the conversation can go forward. If you say something about a yard, maybe someone can talk about that. Or if they mention their backyard, you can talk about that. It's all just right what's right in front of us. You're yes-anding, building off of this subject. Uh, a lot of times we do yes-but. Yes, uh, we can get Italian food, but I don't want to. Okay, great. What should we get? I don't know. <laughs> and you're never moving forward. But doing the and is about letting go of control. The yes and the and is letting go of control. Usually we don't want to because we're scared of what we want things to go our certain way in our minds, which is impossible because we're improvising. But it's letting go of hearing the yes and hearing the and and just going with the flow of like, okay, I don't know where this is going to go if I agree, but I'm going to say yes and see where it goes together building it with you. That's that's quick, quick, you know, when you... So when you're doing improv with somebody, you're you're in a team, you're you have a partner, or whatever. I guess the idea there is you don't want to be like running the show and and shooting down their ideas by saying no and always changing the subject or whatever, right? Like if somebody says, "Oh, it's uh, you know, you know, my, I don't know, whatever," you're the improv guy. But if they say something, and if you if you don't like it, you're not just supposed to say no, no, and then just move on to something else. You're supposed to say yes and try to build on it. And I guess you probably have ways of getting out of those situations, maybe by introducing something you'd rather talk about and hope your partner picks up on it and goes. But uh, but in general, yeah, I just want to ex- make sure people understand why you're saying that. And it's just like, you know, you're not trying to shoot down your partner's ideas because improv is this creativity and this like building on things and not just what you have in your mind, but what the audience shouts out or what your partner does. And that's probably where a lot of that uh, creativity and uniqueness of each of each performance comes from, right? Because if you're a one-man show, you'd probably be stuck in your ways and always doing things a singular, a singular way. Whereas when you have these partners throwing out their ideas, even if there aren't, they aren't ideas that you would have come up with, that's actually even better. Right. Yeah, well said. And like the, the toughest thing to do with improv is coming up with that first thing, which was like uh, uh, the wind. Let's talk about the wind. That's the hardest thing of coming up with that very first thing. But once somebody does that, in your mind, you want to be like, thank you. Now I don't have to. And you want to go with it. And a lot of times people say no because they have an idea in their head or they're afraid of or they think that's going to be too hard. We do a scene about a circus. Uh, No, I don't want to do that because that's scary. It's unknown. Well, why are you doing improv then? It should be unknown. But also (laughs) for the people who think they're really witty and quick will also say no because like, oh, I have a ton of ideas. But if you're doing that, then also you shouldn't be doing improv because improv is collaborative. It's what can I take from my mind and my experience with someone else's and we build a new idea together. If you want to just push your own ideas, then I say do sketch comedy or stand up, which are great, but it's not improv. You're writing things down, you're rehearsing, you're perfecting them. But very much, yeah, yeah, in the terms of performing, yes and means like we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to build this together. And by us building it together, we'll come up with something that no one else would have come up with. If I did it on my own, it would have been different. If I did it with someone else, it would be different. But it's really that collaboration with another person 
which then applies outside of that. Anywhere you're talking to someone, it's someone's experience or how they feel that day with your feelings that day. And yes, anding together instead of just pushing past it. Like I, I love doing this sort of stuff with like cashiers at a coffee coffee place or, or grocery store because all day long they just see people. Hi, how's it going? Thank you. Come again. Like just constantly a flow of people. They don't have time to like talk to anyone. Uh, so I just love making it more of a connection. Like, oh, how's your day going? Like, oh, it's it's crazy. And then like, oh yeah, it's, it seems really busy here or it seems really dead here. How is it crazy? And like just going a little bit deeper with information. Uh, and then you're talking to them and it's fun. And also it's a good place to practice improv because they won't remember you because they just have the next customer coming in and they just, they're on their feet all day and it's, they're just constantly doing something. So it's a good place to practice without any pressure. Yeah. And they're uh, unaware yeah. that they're part of your show at that point. So <laughs> exactly. And then my, my third rule that I'll say right now, cause I'm only going to say three is to assume and I'm saying this one because a lot of people say, well, you're not supposed to assume because it makes an asset of you and me, which is a fun wordplay thing. But in creativity and building something, assuming is great as long as you assume with curiosity. So maybe the rule should be assume with curiosity. I got to edit my book before it comes out next week uh, or in it already came out in 2026, depending when you're listening to this. But assuming with curiosity will allow you to open and get more information from the other person. So in the, in the sense of an improv scene, if you're assuming instead of just going, oh, wow, where are we? Now you come up with all the stuff. Hey, Roland, where are we? And then he doesn't say anything. And then what do we do? Uh, no, we don't know where we are. So instead, because be, be, because when you're thinking of that question, you probably have an idea in your head. So instead of saying, where are we? Just say, oh, great day at the beach. Because whatever you say, your partner has to yes and. and they go, oh, it is a great day at the beach. And you're building something. So the same thing in life to assume, like uh, my example of the cashier. Oh, and they're like, oh, I'm really, really tired. It's a crazy day. And I go, oh, yeah, it's crazy. It looks really busy. Even if I'm wrong, they're now going to tell me because people love to tell you when they're right. Everybody loves to do that. So if you assume with curiosity, you're going to get more information. I mean, this is great when you're <laughs> doing any business or anything as well or getting to know someone. Uh, oh, you live on that side. There must be a lot of traffic. And they go, oh, no, actually, where I live, there's a lot of traffic because I live over here. Oh, now it just sounds creepy that I'm figuring out where people live. Uh, <laughs> but you just learn so much about it where it's like, oh, you live you live there or or must be a busy day. Oh, yeah, it's, it seems like it's much busier than normal. Uh, you make any any assumption and you're not doing it because you're saying, I'm right. Listen to me. You're doing it with curiosity, a little fishing line, and they will correct you if you're wrong and then now you're in <laughs> communication with them because they're telling you something that they weren't going to tell you before. So the same skill, yeah, in improv, you assume so you can build it together. Uh, and in, in life, you assume and people are going to give you information. Again, with curiosity, not because like, yeah, whatever, I know, I know everything. You're assuming, setting yourself up to be wrong, perhaps, but they will give you more information, which is really, really fun. Because <laughs> most people are like, yeah, oh, you, you don't want to assume. That that makes a lot of sense. I think that even outside of improv, people that have trouble um, making small talk or having conversations with people they don't know, those seem like they would be really good skills to just bring into those conversations. Yeah, I mean, it, it very much what led me to writing this book and even teaching was like I was someone 
who is terrible at small talk. And even now, it's sometimes if I don't think about like, okay, we got to use the skills. Uh, I'm someone who's like, would rather just be writing uh, than talking to someone and not good in social situations and was very shy and then starting improv and doing more improv and then working with students. And it's like, oh, these skills helped me so much because I used to just, I, yeah, I did improv for learning theater and writing uh, when I was when I was studying in college. And then I was like, oh, this is helping me everywhere else. So if I go to parties or I'm talking to friends or job interviews, I'm using the exact same skills and it's helping me instead of a job interview where you Google and you you find your answers to all the questions they might ask. And then they ask you one you weren't prepared for. And then you go, um, um, and you panic. And then like all of that time you put in researching those questions was just wasted time and energy. Uh, sure, go and prepare it as much as you can. But instead of having a script, as if you know, you can use these same skills where it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be confident uh, in, in not flounder. Flounder? Is that the word? <laughs> Uh, the fish it is. Word, yep. Yeah, it, you're not going to flounder the fish for mermaid when someone asks you something you weren't expecting. Uh, like, Roland, what's your favorite band from 1972? He's floundering. No answer. He's floundering. Uh, but yeah, I remember doing a job interview and they were like, oh, why do you want to work here? And the real reason I wanted to work there was because it was a cool pizza place that had music that I liked. They played blues music. And I was like, honestly, I want to work here just because I like the music. And they're like, oh, oh, that's oh, that's cool. Um, instead of just going, well, you know, I hope in five years I become a manager and give this like fake response that everybody says. And it makes you stand out of just being present and using all of those skills, listening, yes, and assuming um, it just, yeah, it helps everywhere. It helped me. And that's why I wrote the book. There's the long answer to a question you didn't ask. Flounder, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I listen, it's really important information. I, but what I'm trying to think of is, you know, this is all great. These are awesome rules. And I can see how they would apply um, when you're writing as well in, in the sense that um, they're going to, you know, help you have build some good dialogue and, and maybe even help you sort of think through things. But but I think that there is a bit of a, a catch there in the sense that most of this works really well when you're with someone else, but writing is, you know, the solitary uh, thing that we do. And so doing these things, you know, unless we're sitting there with ChatGPT saying, Hey, ChatGPT, pretend you're my improv partner and let's go, you know, otherwise I'm just sitting here in front of a blank page. How do I sort of apply these, these rules to, uh, to writing when I don't have somebody to bounce these things off of and, and bring me in directions I wasn't expecting to go. That's great. I love you brought that up uh, because that is a huge thing. When I when I started improv, there was no resources. There was one video on YouTube about improv that I posted uh, and there were a few books and I would read the books uh, and it was like, what do you do on your own? What do you do on your own? And since then, there's been a, a few more things that you can do on your own, but very much that's what this book is for. I have a whole chapter which has writing. It. I was like, this could be its own book of just how, how you can practice these skills. And there's exercises throughout the book. And there's two ways that you can do it in ways that I've done it, which is why it's in the book, is you can do exercises on your own. So for example, when I'm writing, staring at a blank screen is the worst possible thing you can do. Staring at a blank screen is not going to inspire you. You're just staring probably at a, at a, a light coming from your computer. It, give, it gives you nothing. It looks intimidating. There's no creativity that comes from a blank screen. 
but getting up, moving, doing something that inspires you, whether it's watching something that inspires you, listening to something, going for a walk, talking out loud, all of that, you are your own improv partner. Because if you're like, okay, what if it's oh, a lion is running there? Okay, wait, what if it's not a lion? And you're just yes-anding and listening and assuming and doing all of that stuff with yourself. A big part of this, which is a lot of learning improv as well, is getting over that self-judgment. Because we've been taught to don't say anything until you think about it, and then you think about it. And then any insecurities we have will go, that's a dumb idea. Don't even say it. And then it never gets past that. But by yes anding, you can say the stupidest, dumbest ideas to yourself while you're walking or jot it down, however you like to brainstorm. And the more you can do that, just like this seems stupid, but I'm going to yes and it and see where it goes, will bring you to new ideas. But we have this wall that as soon as a lion, no, that's stupid. I'm stupid. I'm a bad writer. I should just close my computer and throw it away. And we never get past it instead of just like whatever comes up, we're just going to yes and it. It might lead to a dead end, but at least we got somewhere we can start over instead of just not even taking that step. So getting up, moving around helps, using doing improv with yourself. So those exercises that you can do, like word association is a, is a really good one just to show you where ideas come from. So we'll do it right now. We'll do a little pro- practice one with Roland, me and Roland. All right, so I'm going to say something, and the first word you think of, Roland, you respond next, okay? So, uh, for example, apple. Now, you say the first word you think of. It's okay, any word you think of. So sometimes you get stuck in our head like that and we can't respond because we're like, I don't, I have to think of a good answer, but there's really no good answer. As long as you say any answer, any answer is right. So if I say apple and then I say red and then I say fire truck and then I say Dalmatian and then I say dog and then I say cat and then I say furball, I said furball when I started with apple. Those are two very different ideas, but it led me to the idea of furball which I, I don't say furball usually. And now I have furball that I can play with. What That could be something just as an example. This is a very simple, simplified example. So exercises like that you can practice on your own. And the flip side is there's a whole chapter all about how you can practice these skills in life, such as talking to cashiers of like, oh, I'm going to pretend I'm really confident when I'm talking to this cashier. I've never experienced what it's like to be really confident. So I'm going to practice it here. And that can inform, if you're writing, what's a character who's confident? They say you should write what you know. But if you only are yourself, <laughs> then that's all your characters are going to sound like. And if you don't know other people who sound like this, you can't really understand them. If you can practice embodying those characters, then you're like, oh, I know what someone confident acts like. And now I can add that into my writing. So while it's much easier if you have a group at an improv club nearby or an improv class or theater you can go to or other people who just like to do improv, like me and Roland love doing improv together. Right, Roland? Totally. Um, If you don't have that, you can still practice it on your own. I used to do improv scenes in my apartment by myself when I first moved to Los Angeles because I didn't have an improv team or, or classes I wasn't doing yet. So I just did improv scenes by myself where I'd be like, hey, Joe, how's it going? Well, that was a really bad start to an improv scene, but I'm doing okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Why do you think it was a bad start? Well, because you asked a question and you didn't really assume anything and you put all the pressure on me. Well, you know, I'm just just trying my best here. And it's like, I know, you had a hard time. You just lost your job. I did lose my job. You just go back and forth. And you, at first, you seem crazy because you're just talking yourself. But if you get past that, you are practicing improv. You're doing it. And like, just now, I didn't know what I was going to say. And I responded to what I just said. And that's improv. You don't necessarily need to have someone else to practice these skills. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes you seem a little uh, odd, but then, you know, you see people doing that with fancy editing on TikTok videos where they're talking to themselves, having those whole conversations with themselves. So I guess that's, you know, how people are uh, doing improv and without a partner and and finding ways to to monetize it. (laughs) So, you know. Uh, so when you're writing, then, uh, do you find that, you know, you bounce ideas off in your improv classes? Like, it's if you're actually, you know what, I don't even know. Have you written books other than this one? Or have you written any sort of, you know, fiction novels or anything? So this is my first book, nonfiction book, uh, but I've written a lot of screenplays and sketch comedy. So I have written a lot of another. Those are all fiction i guess some are based on real life situations <laughs> well. uh, but yeah so i've written a lot of a lot of pages i could say that i've written a lot of pages screenplay tv pilots sketches uh but this is the first novel book form right so if you were to uh be in your improv class and you have some idea about you know a tv show or something that you that you're you're kicking around in your head you want to write uh is that something you'd sort of like throw in some seeds into your improv you know sessions to see where things go maybe you can get some ideas out of it i wish that i had a quick answer for this <laughs> but yeah i'd quick say time. i mean that that depends on the situation like if it was my improv group uh maybe i wouldn't practice but again that means i'm bringing something prepared to the to the the, the stage or to the table i'm like oh i want to try out this thing which means it's not improv because you're preparing it um, there have been times on the flip side where I'll do a scene and I'll go, Oh, that was really funny. I could turn that into a sketch. And because I wasn't the one who created it by myself, I'll talk to my scene partner, talk to my improv group and say, Hey, can like, should we write that as a sketch? Can I write that up as a sketch? Do you mind? Cause we came up together, but there's nothing that feels worse than like seeing a scene you did with someone else. And then they wrote it and never told you about, it. you know, like you, like you stole our idea cause we built it together. <laughs> Right. Okay. That's fair. I was more thinking about um, just not not complete scenes, but sort of like just giving you those sparks. Like if you were going to write something about, you know, a crazy billionaire or whatever, then you throw that in as one of the things in one of your sketches just to see where it goes. And it might then give you those sparks of different ideas that you hadn't thought of. And, you know, I don't know, I'd be tempted to just toss things in once in a while to see what other people, where they go with it. But I do see, you know, if it then became this awesome thing, then you're kind of like, Oh yeah. Now if I write it, it's like, I just stole it from you guys, even though it was kind of my idea, but not yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would just, yeah, I would say as the improv teacher side, because I look for students who like, did you think about this before the scene? Was this something that did you bring in that you wanted to do that before class uh, before the show? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, that is that is weakening your sense of creativity because you had something prepared. But I think the more you do scenes, you're like, oh, I've never played a billionaire character. I can try that. Or I've never done this. Like when you find you, you do certain things, this is a different subject. But if you if you find you keep playing the same things, then you should stretch yourself to play those other things. So you can't experience it. So someone I've never gone into a scene and I've don't know how many improv scenes I've done. I've done a lot, a lot, uh, but I've never gone in with like before I showed up to the theater going, I think I'm going to do this sort of thing, but I've done so many that now if I was to write a billionaire character, it's like, Oh, I've experienced that. And then I can get up and, and walk around my living room and like, Oh yes, I am a billionaire and I have so much money. I don't care about anyone. And then like, oh, that's interesting. What was that? How can I tweak that a little bit? Um, so improv is a great playground 
to practice all of those things. And the more you can just be free of like, I'm going to stretch myself to things I've never thought I could do or who am, who's the opposite of me, that's really great when you're practicing improv. Because we're ourselves all the time. We're already playing a character. Either it's someone who's like, I'm shy in public, or it's I'm someone who's loud all the time, or someone who's really quiet, like Roland. Whatever it is, you're playing a character. So if you change that character and you get to stretch those muscles and be amorphous, the more you, is that the right word, amorphous? Anyways, um, <laughs> the more I, you, you know, can I, change. Yeah, I think it's funny because like I, it's it's true. Like when you have people doing the same sort of characters and stuff, they're going to take it in different directions, right? And so like for that that example you gave, and you're acting like the billionaire there, I'm thinking, you know why is that billionaire have an accent? You know, is he, he must be an old money billionaire. You know, I don't think that uh, Elon Musk or, uh, you know, Bezos have accents like that. <laughs> but uh, so, so my billionaire would have been probably different than yours, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of cool too, is that, you know, everyone comes from their own experiences and they're going to put their own flavor on it. And I think that's probably one of the greatest parts of improv. And, and that, you know, a lot of people, when they watch it, um, you know, they say sometimes I'm sitting with somebody, and I, I probably wonder this myself too. Really good improv, and you watch it and you think, eh, I think they had that sort of pre planned, or they had some kind of a you know, a template almost, you know. Be, but I think the really good ones you see why, how they try to prove that that's not the case by taking suggestions from the audience a lot of times, so that they, but then you still kind of wonder, okay, yeah, they, they got that, but they probably could fit that one story into a whole bunch of different things. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, it really, yeah, the, the suggestion that you get before an improv show proves a couple things. It proves that it was made up on the spot, but it also gives you that jumping off point because the hardest right. thing to do is to start with nothing. But a lot of times, yeah, the best, the first time my dad saw me do improv, he was like, Keith, you could tell me, come on, I'm your father. You came up with that before. Like, no, we, nothing, no character, nothing we came up with before. And that's right. the best improv uh, mm-hmm. is, is doing that on the spot. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's why I love it, because it's so different. You can go, if you go to the same comedian's stand-up show two, three nights in a row, and they're at a you know a comedy club, and you go every night, you're going to see the same act pretty much, right? Maybe he'll throw in a couple of different jokes that he's working on. But if you go to an improv three, four nights in a row with the same people, you're not going to see the same show at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes you'll see like some, some improvisers have like a shtick and they do, oh, we do three characters, uh, which is fine, but it's fun to watch the ones like you don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> you don't know what they're going to do. You have no idea what direction it's going to go in. It could be a bad show, could be a great show. Uh, and that's what's really fun about it is it is a temporary art that is only happening in the moment. If you film it, it never looks as good as when you were there. If you tell someone about it, they're going to go, what are you talking about? So that's that's the real fun of improv. It exists only in that moment. Yeah, I, and you know, in some ways, it's it's almost a shame that you know they're not all recorded and filmed because you you lose those. You, you sometimes might have some amazing. I'm sure there's bad nights where you know things didn't really come together and you know people weren't as creative as they as they normally were. But then there's probably those nights that like it was just gold. Everything you did was gold and you kind of probably wish that you had recorded them so you could watch them again or show them to people and be like, look at this, what we did this like last night. It was so good. Yeah. So if you're, if, so when you're writing though, 
um, okay, so we've gone over sort of some of the ways that you can uh, use these rules to come up with more ideas, creative ideas. Uh, but, you know, how else can it sort of help uh, other than just that spark of, of a new thing? So in writing, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it really, like for me, I write really, really fast. Uh, and I think that's because I, my brain is wired to the improv mindset, which is the name of my book. Um, because of that, yeah, like, like I think writer's block is just something that some lazy person came up with. That it's like, yeah, I haven't written my book because I have writer's block. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, writer's block. That's real. And it's like, no, they just didn't do the things to be inspired. They were staring at a blank page, probably not a screen. It feels like an old saying. Probably at a, a blank scroll they were staring at. And they, they, they didn't come up with anything. And they said they had writer's block. Um, and it's like if I said, Roland, Apple. And the first thing he says is, banana. See, finally, it clicks. Even if you think you have writer's block and at one point you don't know what to say, then another time you're like, now I got it. And then you say banana. Um, you'll, that'll make sense to you, Roland, later on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it, it just helps you get out of your way is the main thing. Like when I'm writing, I'm like, I write that vomit draft, whatever you're writing. Stop thinking it has to be perfect because improv teaches you it's not going to be perfect. It's impossible for you to make it go a certain way. Even if you really want it to, and you're trying to tell your partner, hey, you're this character, come on. You can't, you can't, there's, it's happening in the moment in, in uh, uh, approaching your writing that way, where it's like, it's not going to be perfect. It could be garbage, but I'm going to get it out of my head onto something more substantial that I can play around with will allow you to write much faster and not have this made up thing called writer's block that some lazy person came up with that people now use as an excuse. I got writer's block. No, you're just not doing things to inspire you. You're not doing these things to get out of your own thinking. And that's what's stopping you. That's, um, I feel, I feel called out. Personally called out, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, you'll, you'll, if you watch this back afterwards, you'll, uh, you know, totally understand. Uh, but if, you know, like, and it's, I'm glad that writer's block isn't a disease because otherwise I'm going to, you know, I get some hate mail. Oh, he doesn't think the writer's block's real. And it is, the struggle is real. I, you know, it is for some people, but I think that there are lots of ways to get through it. And, and I like, I like your idea of, you know, getting up and moving around, not staring at the blank screen because you are just going to be stuck. I mean, you, you're not changing anything. You're just staring, right? You've got to go out in the world and look around and talk to people and stuff and let those creative juices flow from you know the other people's little spark of an idea that hook you in a different direction i think that's one of the biggest issues with writing is you know it's such a solitary thing and i mean you can write from your own brain a few good books without any sort of input i'm sure but at some point you need to get out in the world and experience things to be able to to keep going to keep writing and uh you know being able to to you know, have these interactions, the creativity and, and, and all the, the rules that you gave. I really, I think I personally would like to start, you know, getting some of those going with, uh, even with my kids. Cause you know, <laughs> if I could teach them the, the yes and at least, cause it's for them, it's usually just yes or no, you know, like, how's your day? Good. Okay, great. Thanks for the talk you know it's i gotta teach them it's good and you know and what tell me tell me more 
uh, I think, you know, it applies to more than just writing, but, but certainly that uh, I could see how even when you apply it to all the other things, it will help your writing. Yeah. So, so many good things you just said in there and in the, and of the yes, and in case I didn't say it before, if you feel like the yes is like, well, I'm just agreeing to everything. The and is where you get to put your own thing in there. So how was your day at school? Bad, bad. And, and then they're going to say why, and they get to tell you why they're not just like, well, dad wanted an answer. So here's your answer. Bad there are you happy now but like no you get to say how you feel you get to say the and and then like now you get to say it and if it's in the yes and uh mentality then like you're gonna listen to it and you're gonna build off of it and like now you're talking and you're not even trying um but it really is also your own experiences so getting out and experience like the billionaire example like i did that like old money billionaire but like from your own mind you might think of a different billionaire and all of those things that come from our mind every creative idea comes from something we experienced whether it was something we saw on TV or an old magazine or in our real life, we experienced it in some way. So I did the old billionaire and I'm thinking of like the Monopoly guy and you think billionaire and you think Elon Musk. And it's like, these are things we've seen that are in our brain and we just have to unlock it. And writer's block, just so you don't get hate mail, there definitely is like, I just don't feel like doing it. I've had that where it's like, I don't feel like doing it today. And that is partly laziness. And it's like, well, I'm, or I'm tired from other things. I don't think that's writer's block. I just think it's like, I just don't feel like doing it. And that's real. Or you make it stuck in which direction to go. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's getting up, experiencing those things. And the more you interact, because the blank screen is not going to help you at all, except if it's the AI, which who knows where that will go. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's a difference between like writers that, and, and let's, they might not even be writers at this point, people that, that say they want to write, but they can't because they have writer's block and that just stops them and they just give up versus the writer who, you know, occasionally will get stuck and they'll get writer's block. And, but it's not going to just, it's not going to stop them forever. It's going to be a very setback until they figure out how to get back on track and lots of ways to do that. But, but, you know, yeah, I think the laziness factor is more about those people that, hit that wall and then just stop and then just be like, yeah, I don't know. It's too hard. You know, if they figure out, oh, I, I could write a book. It's easy. And then they hit the writer's block and the math. Ah, yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from Hemingway and it was write drunk and it's sober. Now I <laughs> have tried this once because. and it it's, I, I think he means it maybe literally, but the figurative live figuratively, whatever, you know, the word I mean, figuratively, that saying is great because right drunk, when you're drunk, you don't have any inhibitions. You're not overthinking things. So if you do that, write your first draft drunk, not really because it's just going to be a mess uh, and then feel like garbage the next morning. You're not going to want to do a revision. But if you write in that mindset of like, cool, whatever, no inhibitions, and then edit clear headed. Okay. All right. Now we do this because it's much easier to create and edit when you have stuff on the page, even if it's garbage you go oh well there's a little thing right there and then you'll be able to continue forward with it so i i love that yeah right drunk edit sober figuratively i think he probably did mean it literally and i think that for most people that would probably be helpful i mean not not sure you are going to get a mess probably but i think a lot of people and myself included are really stuck in our heads or in our logic, like like logical mind that things move in a certain direction and, you know, this happens and that happens. And it only makes sense then if this, but if you're drunk or if you're, you know, marijuana's uh, legal in, in most, in a lot of places now. So if you're stoned, you know, whatever, and then, and you start writing or at least 
brainstorming a bit, you might come up with ideas that your sober mind never probably would have come up with. Uh, doesn't mean they're all going to be good. Lots of them probably won't be, but uh, there might be a few in there, or at the very least, they might give you fodder for some of your other techniques later to give you that creativity to, to jump off from like, Oh, this idea is ridiculous, but, and then it might take you somewhere else. If you say, uh, you know, this is crazy and, <laughs> or, or do your word associations off of it or whatever, it, you know, and if you, if you don't have the ability to go off and talk to some other people to get that spark, your crazy drunken ramblings might, might do it. So I get that. <laughs> well, I right. think even a bad idea is better than no idea, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely, this is going to sound like a very like church answer, but from like, as someone who started improv before I was able to drink and then starting to drink, I've noticed from doing improv, it gives you that ability where it's just like, cool, I'm just saying things. I'm not thinking about it. I feel free without any alcohol, which is pretty cool. Cause then when I started drinking, I was like, oh, well now my brain's slower <laughs> than when I'm just doing improv where I'm like, here's a bunch of things. Uh, so it does sort of help, definitely unlocks it. Anyone who does an improv class, you're just gonna be like, wow, it's affecting every area of my life uh, without having to spend money or feel like garbage in the morning. Um, but yeah, those things also have been known to assist. Well, I think it's sometimes getting into the headspace, isn't it? It's like sometimes some of my best writing sessions have been you light up a cigar and you get yourself a glass of whiskey and you put on some blues music and you write and that helps you find it. Yeah, it very much is getting in, in that headspace. Like when I'm writing a screenplay, I really like to watch things or listen to things, music that is similar in the same style of it. So I'm sure the same with a, a fiction book where it's like read things that are similar to it and that will inspire you uh, or, or go out and do things similar to it. All of those things will inspire your mind to connect dots to come up with stuff. Because really, if you are writing, if you started to write, there's a reason you felt like you needed to write this down either it was it was it sounds exciting to you something about it you're like this i want to write and it's just getting back to that place where you're like this is fun this is inspiring people need to know about this whatever it is it's getting back to that place of why did you start to begin with and if you remember that that will help you along the path when it gets difficult because it's not gonna always be easy well that is phenomenal advice unfortunately we are running towards the top of the hour so we are gonna have to actually wrap things up and that that amazing piece of advice and I'm going to enjoy watching back and, and seeing the things I missed. Keith, thank you so much for, for, for joining us and, and imparting your wisdom. Where can people find out more about you? Oh, yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me. This was a great conversation. I could talk for hours with both of you. <laughs> um, so you can find more about me at KeithSaltoyanis.com or maybe even easier to type in is Improv-LA.com which is my school, and you'll find information about my book at either places, The Improv Mindset, out June 6, 2023, which was five years ago, depending on when you were listening to this. <laughs> well, that is wonderful. Craig, do you have any final words before we wrap up? Uh, you know, just want to thank Keith again for coming. And I, I agree, like we could probably talk for a lot longer and maybe we'll have you on again, maybe when your next book comes out in 2027 or whatever. But, uh, you know, there's probably all sorts of other things that we can talk about here. And, I, you know, I feel like we sort of scratched surface on on this. But I I think those rules that you outlined are um, a really, really great sort of starting points for for not just writing but 
just in our general lives of, of sort of opening things up and getting people to talk more because the best stories are coming from those other people and their experiences. You can only experience so much in your own life, right? Directly. You got to sometimes talk to people and hear their stories and get their experiences uh, and use those as, you know, the creative spark for your own stuff. Right. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was, it was, I love talking about creativity. You can just talk about it all day long because it is there's there's a scratching the surface and then there's going deeper and each person has their own idea. So this is super fun conversation. Roland, Apple. Banana. Yeah, see, we got it now. <laughs> Same one. You're supposed to give something different. Like bees. I couldn't think of anything different. I had writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Keith. We will make sure to pop links down below in the description so people can find out more about what Keith does. And if while you're down there, if you haven't already, make sure you leave uh, Keith a comment, send some love, make sure you know that what he shared with us was appreciated. And also while you're down there, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, this little bell icon that you can tap so you can make sure you get uh, updates for every single new episode of Fully Booked. And we'll be back next week with another episode. So until then, stay tuned.